Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 324 of Sexology Podcasts, where we explore the psychology of sex and pleasure. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. In today's episode, we're going to talk about sexual shame, how it develops, and how it impacts your intimate life. As you probably know, that sexual shame can develop due to a variety of reasons, such as like societal messages, religious beliefs, even experiences with past lovers, and it can really impact our sex life. But the good news is that that's something you can overcome it. In today's episode, Amir Yase and I, we're going to talk about how you can overcome sexual shame. Our guest is Amir Yasai. Amir is a queer Muslim unicorn who actively battles against racism, transphobia, and body shaming in the queer community. He's also a comedian who injects humor in everything he does. Before we dive into our conversation today, I wanted to take a moment to talk about our amazing sponsor product, the FirmTech Performance Ring. If you're looking to spice up your sex life and take things to the next level, this is the product for you. So this is an upgraded version of the cock ring that you guys have heard about me talking about in previous episodes. The Performance Ring is designed to provide long-lasting, more intense erection for penis owner. It's high quality. I'm going to talk about my experience with using it at the end of the show. You can use Mo'ali, my last name, number 20, and go to myfirmtech.com to get 20% off of their product. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Amir Yasai. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Amir Yassi on our show today. Amir, welcome to our show. Hi, everyone. I am very excited about this conversation. I know we connected on Instagram and I love all the fun content you're putting out there. I'm very curious to learn more about you. So tell us about your upbringing and journey of coming out as a queer Muslim person. Yeah, it's been a, you know, it's been a journey. I always say I've been coming out of closets for a very long time. It's like coming out in different ways and different, you know, iterations. Um, I grew up in a very conservative Muslim household. You know, my mom wears a headscarf and my parents started a mosque in Orange County. Wow. So that kind of sets you up for a, a different upbringing. The rest of my family, most Persians are not very religious. So the rest of my family is very, very like secular and, you know, very open. So it was just interesting for my parents to kind of be the ones that were a bit more conservative. Um, and they became more conservative when I was around like 10 or 12. So there was definitely a shift. And it was right around the time I was kind of like learning about my body and like, you know, puberty. So it was just such a weird time for them to get so conservative. So that was tough. You know, as far as coming out goes, I came out very late. I was probably 28. I came out to myself in my early 20s. My entire life, people would stop me. No offense, but are you gay? You know, are you gay? Are you gay? It was all the time. 
But, you know, in my early 20s, I came out to myself. Then I came out, you know, to my friends in my late 20s. And then my parents was like, probably I was 29. And whether or not you can kind of figure it out when you say conservative, they didn't really take it well. I mean, they still struggle with my like, you know, public persona. And when they see me on TV or on Instagram, like they don't really like it. But I got to live for my own self. Right. And I'm and a lot of people say you can't be gay and Muslim. You're going to hell, whatever they want to say. I have a relationship with God that is personal and I don't, I took it off my Instagram recently because I really feel like I don't really need to prove that I'm a Muslim to people that are strangers. So it's, it's a more of a private relationship now. I, I really kind of stepped into that. So it's been great. People were questioning you about your identity, that how, how is it possible to be queer Muslim? That's horrible. Oh, they still do. I mean, even if I've taken it off and it's funny because even if I comment something fun, like I commented on a picture of Brad Pitt, like, oh, a cutie or something. And the people started commenting gay and Muslim, ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. And they were like bullying me in the comments of another picture. Like, I was like, really? Like, how much time do you have? And I always tell people the number one thing with being a good Muslim is that you're not supposed to be judgmental and you're supposed to be kind to your neighbor. I haven't received a lot of kindness from my fellow Muslims, right? So I'm very just like frustrated. So that's why I removed it from my profile. I was like, I don't need this energy. And I don't need to prove to you that I'm not going to hell. I don't need to prove to you that, you know, I'm a horrible person because I'm saying I'm Muslim, that I have some kind of agenda. Like I have nothing to prove to you. And, you know, one of my friends made a movie called Breaking Fast, which is an amazing movie on Hulu, where it talks about two men falling in love during Ramadan. And there's a scene in the movie where one of the characters says, coming out made me a better Muslim. And a lot of people might say, what are you talking about? Like, no, 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 no. That's like, you're going to hell. That's haram. That's horrible. But what I realized, it's kind of true because as I came out, I became more sympathetic and empathetic to other people. So I realized like everyone's carrying something where before I was very judgmental. You drank, you're going to hell. You had sex, you're going to hell. It was very black and white. And what I've learned is like, being a person is about gray areas. I love that. And it just breaks my heart that that's how people choose to quote unquote guide others toward religion. If you're ruling someone and kind of like harassing them, how is that going to help them being kind of like more interested in, in religion? But it seems like for you, it's the relationship is important. And you chose to develop a relationship that with God that's meaningful. It's kind of personal to you. It's 100%. And it's, and listen, do I fast? Do I pray? No. And do I drink occasionally? Absolutely. But that does not, I understand those are like prescribed things of being a good Muslim, but I don't do those things. But I have a relationship that's personal. And what I believe is that if animals are gay, and there are many animals, there's 90 species of animals that are gay. If animals are gay and they have no choice, then how come you're saying that I'm choosing, right? So it's a natural thing and God does not make mistakes. And if there were, let's say 10 Muslims, I'd say, Okay, maybe that's ridiculous. But there are millions of gay people. There are millions of people who have come out of the closet. There are gay animals, etc. So God doesn't make mistakes. And if you really believe in God, you should really believe that instead of worrying about what I'm doing. Also, if you're so worried about what I'm doing and you're in my DMs, you're you're starting a new profile, you're harassing me even when I blocked you. Don't you think you need to focus on your side of the street? What's going on in your world? Are you being a good Muslim? Are you being even a good person? Forget being a good Muslim. Are you being a good person? That's the question that I try to ask. And it really sets them off because they're so focused on this idea that if you're gay, you're going to hell. And they just come in with that narrative. So I've stopped engaging because, you know, I have my own mental health to worry about. I don't have time to prove to people that I'm allowed to take up space. First of all, 
I'm over 200 pounds. I'm 6'2". So I already take up space just because I'm tall. (laughs) So I refuse to back down and I refuse to, you know, cower to people who are just being ridiculous. Well, I, I think it's amazing that you continue to show up, continue to put out great content because even as a cisgender heterosexual female, so I fit the profile and I, when I talk about sex, I get bullied because that's, that's how I can only imagine if uh, someone that's outside that box and they're kind of like, they identify as someone that please have a relationship with God. People have certain kind of emotions about it. It's, it seems like you have parents, but it seems like the relationship remains kind of healthy in a way. How, how, how's the relationship has evolved? Well, it's tough because I think that. I always say sometimes I feel like my relationship with my parents is in purgatory because I think that it's good. And like I live with them and the pandemic made it like made us closer. But there's a lot like I'm not in a relationship, so they don't have to really face it. Does that make like if I'm in a relationship, they're going to have to face the fact that I'm gay. And I think right now it's very much like, okay, he's not into women. But yes, he talks about being gay. But like mm, like I've kind of in some ways enabled their behavior by not talking about it. And I'm just kind of tired of that because there's a lot in my world. You know, I am producing TV shows. There's a lot that's going on and very public and it's only going to get more public. And I think that I've tried to protect them, quote unquote. But what I've done is I've kind of enabled their bad behavior. So I'm very self-aware. I've done enough therapy for two generations. So I know exactly what I'm doing. But there comes a level where, you know, my dad's 73. My mom's in her 60s. It's like, well, I they're immigrants. Like, what am I going to do? Push them. They're never going to come to a pride parade. They're never going to be part of PFLAG. And that's fine. I don't need that. But what I do not want is to feel minimized. So there was an incident where I was going to an event and I was wearing a skirt and I had to change in the car. And I'm like, I'm 37 years old changing in the car. This is not great. You know, so there's moments where I realize I'm like, wait a second, they need to be okay with that. If I want to carry a handbag, if I want to paint my nails, this, these are not what make me gay. And I think there was such an obsession with, oh, you used to dye your hair. That's why you're gay. Who convinced you? Who tricked you? I think a lot of immigrants have a lot of fear about America and like, oh, it, it convinced you to be gay. I think I've always been different. And I think it was just a matter of just accepting that. And I think our relationship, we've definitely grown apart, but in a healthy way, like I love and respect them, but I don't need their validation anymore. I just don't. And I think it, it's still, it's great that you you were able to share that part of yourself, even not the full spectrum, but that part of yourself with them. And it seems like like there 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 is a relationship and it seems like maybe there will be possibility in future to kind of like expand on that or not. But it seems like for now, it's a functional relationship in a way. And I know that many of my clients, tell us, tell us about sexual shame because they know that like our sexuality is very varied like everyone have like their own erotic template things that they like type of people they like gender different genders that people are interested in and what what causes lots of mental health challenges it's not what you're interested in it's more about this internalized shame so tell us how does do you think the sexual shame develop so i mean i heard something from Brene brown that really kind of nailed it for me there was a lot of guilt and shame when you're Muslim or any kind of religion, if you're Jewish, Christian, any of the kind of monotheistic religions, there's a lot of guilt, a lot of shame around sex. There's a lot of just like weirdness. So guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am bad. So I spent most of my life. I am bad. I'm a bad person. I'm bad for thinking that and bad for thinking my swim coach is cute. I have issues like I'm disgusting. And I was so religious. I was praying. I was fasting. 
you know, I was living on a Muslim floor at USC. I was just very, very religious. And so what that did is that it was very much pray the gay away, push all those sexual feelings away. You're not okay. The first time I masturbated, I cried because I was like, there's something wrong with me. I'm disgusting. You know, when I had like a wet dream, I went to my parents and they were like, go away, like just deal with it. Right. And you're like nine years old and they're just like, I don't want to deal with it. And there was no Google. There was nothing. So I had to go to school and ask around if anyone else had peed their pants. That's what I thought it was. I I don't, you know, and I just remember like there was so much shaming, like, oh, that's gross. I mean, you're like, what are you talking about? And I remember there was one kid that was like, oh, that happened to me. And my parents made me feel really bad. And then like we kind of commiserated. And I just felt like in that moment, even though I was only like probably 10, I was like, this is not good parenting. Like, I'm not a parent now, but I knew that like that was not good parenting to push it away and pretend it doesn't exist. And then a couple of years later, I still remember like it was yesterday. I was in the like we had like a little exercise room and I was watching a movie and I don't it was like a sex scene or something. And I got turned on. And so I had an erection and we had a party at our house. It was like my uncle's engagement party or something. And my mom walked into the exercise room and she saw me and then I got up and then of course I had an erection. I was like 12. And I feel like at that point, a stiff breeze and then you're hard. Like I remember like you just couldn't control it. And I remember she looked horrified and she had this horrified look on her face and she was like, go put cold water on it. Deal with that. And like this screaming and there was so much drama in that, right? It took me so long to realize that like that's a normal response. Like you're okay. You're fine. You know, and then you're in these schools at the mosque and they say, you know, you masturbate, you're going to have pregnant hands on judgment day, right? These kind of imagery is like build this shame around sex, right? The first time I had sex, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. My mom's going to die. Like, uh, like, and then nothing happened. I think that was like, and then as I, of course, had more sex and had a relationship, I started to, but even now, I mean, I still sometimes, if I masturbate, I don't want to see my parents. Like this weird childish kind of shame around sex and it's so funny because gay men are so open about sex and like a lot of my friends it took me so long to be open about sex and to be so comfortable with it but honestly like being in this community and the queer community has been really amazing for me to really start to digest the shame and just be like yeah I want to get spanked or yeah I'd like to get choked or wait a second, I find that like straight couple really attractive. Like I'd like to be the third. I mean, this is conversations that, oh my God, like I would never have in my house. I mean, my dad used to think that if we laid down on the floor in front of my grandma, it was inappropriate. So formal, so dignified, which I think is great to have manners. But sometimes those manners translate to this like obsession with being perfect in every way. You can't have bad thoughts. You can't have sexual thoughts. I'm sorry, this guy's running by and shirtless. I find it attractive and that's okay. So that took a while to get there. I think that that's such a powerful story. And I know that many people struggle with the same thing when they come up from a conservative community because like the cycle of not having enough education is something that perhaps your parents didn't get proper sex education and then they didn't know how to talk about it. And that was something that perhaps their parents did. And it's just like, creates shame. I know many parents, they panic when they discover the kid is masturbating. They feel like maybe they've been abused instead of thinking about it's just natural response of being kind of part, being part of a, a human. And it's, it, it is normal. So tell us a little bit about how did you find community? Because it seems like you found the community of people that resonated with you and that helped you to feel more comfortable in your identity. How was that journey like? So before I answer that, I, I also want to say, funny enough, when you said that, I remembered how my, aside from them not having sex ed, 
they pulled me and my sister out of sex ed. So we were the only kid that was in the library while they were doing sex ed. And I remember I begged my parents, like, because it was like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And I was like, I need to go to this. I'm in eighth grade. Like, I need to go to this. And I remember being horrified because I hadn't really gotten this step by step. So I walked in and it was like, you have sex, you're going to get herpes. You have sex, you're going to get HIV. And it was very like, I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to have sex. Like it traumatized me because I hadn't gotten the step by step, you know? So it was just, I just remember being horrified. And also I remember like my friends would be like, oh my God, my parents talked to me about sex. And it was so embarrassing. And I'm like, I wish they would talk to me. I wish I could be embarrassed and say, stop talking to me about that. Instead, we just pushed it all under a rug. I mean, the joke is always Persians have these beautiful rugs so they can push everything under it. I don't want to do that. Like if I ever had children, like you need to have more of an open conversation, even if they resist. I think it's important to have that open conversation. But as far as like community for me, it's been a struggle. I mean, there was a lot of comparison. Of course, when you're Muslim, they're like, oh, look how good this Muslim girl is. And then it turned out nothing wrong with this, but she had a boyfriend. She was drinking. She was out partying. But like the facade she was creating was this perfect Muslim girl. And I think my parents did a lot of comparisons. So I was like, I want nothing to do with the Muslim community. I'm out. Like, I want nothing to do with them. I also went to a very white school. So I was like one of five kids who was not white. So that was immediately, okay, you're different. And then my junior year, 9-11 happened. You know, the school's like, oh, can you talk about it? I mean, that was the audacity of the 2000s. I mean, nobody cared. Like, there was no, like, internet. There, Nobody gave a shit. Like, they would tell you, sorry, like, do you know Saddam Hussein? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, and I've always been sassy. So I'm like, yeah, he came over for Thanksgiving. <laughs> said, oh, my God, that's crazy. What a woman? Like, hello? Let's <laughs> You know, so there's a lot of that kind of struggle. So it's been hard for me to find community. But what I realized is when I went to USC and I was on this muzzle for it, of course, there's a lot of people that were very, like, very, like, super religious and Wahhabi and intense. But there were also a lot of people that were in the middle and kind of modern. And I started to, like, find that community. And then I started to kind of, as I came out, I found, like, queer community. But what a lot of people don't know about the queer community is that I kind of thought, I'm going to come out. I'm going to have this instant community, like instant coffee. I was rejected. I was treated like dirt. I was fat shamed. I was told I was ugly. I was called Aladdin. I was called the sand N word, which I never heard that apparently that's a slur for Middle Eastern people. I was like, I was called sand roach. I mean, it was was on dating apps and in person. I mean, people say the wildest things like, oh, my God, you're so exotic. I'm like, like, are we in Los Angeles? Like, so it was just very odd. The queer community can be very rough as well. Again, it's a lot of damaged people like trying to cope and they've been, you know, mistreated by coming. I understand the reason, but it was a very tough community break. But once I kind of got into the Persian queer community in L.A., I really started to find some friends and I started to kind of realize that there's something different about talking about your sexual orientation in your mother tongue. Speaking in Farsi about my coming out and someone being trans and queer, it was just like so magical. And I was like, what the heck is this? This is amazing. So once I found that and I I have that community, it's just been really amazing. And I think that it also lessens the blow around my parents because I feel like in some way they became my family. And, you know, when I came out, my mom kind of knew where to hit it to hurt. She was like, oh, you know, you're going to get HIV and then we're going to have to deal with it. And your friends are going to ditch you. And it's funny because when I told my friends, they were all like, that's not even true. And number one, like HIV is not a death sentence anymore. Right. So. I think it's navigating all of that stuff. Plus, then I have such an online presence and you're getting thousands of hate comments like, oh, your parents are as disappointed in you as I am. I hope you die. I hope you jump off a roof. You start hearing this stuff. And listen, I'm a human being. So 
it's thousand, it's a, what is a death by a thousand paper cuts. After a while, it starts to get in. I'm a very confident person. Like I'm, I could walk down the street and I feel like I'm Naomi Campbell, but of course I'm still a person. Like, you know, you start saying these things and, you know, someone commented a couple of weeks ago, I can't wait to see you die. I mean, oh, okay. Like, great. Like, you know, that affects me. And of course there are nobody and it doesn't matter. And, you know, it, when I tell people that are not influencers are online all the time they say well then just delete your profile or just ignore it but the thing is like I don't want to stop taking up space I think it's important and especially with my community I, I want to take up space like and, and that's the number one thing with finding that community well I had no idea the magnitude of hate that you were receiving I love how you carry carry on and posting stuff and kind of like sharing the content i had some kind of like as like guess on like probably there's some hate but i had no idea it's that that unfortunately common and frequent i'm sorry you're going through that thank you so much you know what really counterbalances it like through therapy through me and my therapist came up with the tech tactic because before i used to look for the hate comments now she's like look for the love and i think that that's been such a difference i'm like look for the love. And I just remind myself, and it's so funny because there was a day where I was just getting bullied. Like it was just from left and right. Like you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And then I had someone that reached out and was like, I see all the hate comments and I see that you posted on your story, but I just want you to remember that I'm also a queer Muslim and I was going to kill myself, but I saw your profile and I just really kept going. That's all I've ever wanted. When I started this Instagram in 2018, I said, all I want to do is I want to save one person. And I have, I'm not trying to chew my own horn, but I've saved hundreds of people. I've people all over the world message me and say, it's so amazing to see someone without shame, which little do they know. Of course, I struggle with shame. But the fact of the matter is, I will put on a fur coat and heels and I will put it on Instagram and I don't really care. But if I also want to wear like a super masculine suit and go to a wedding, I'll do that as well. I can design my life. And I always tell people, like I help people come out of the closet. I always tell them the best part about being queer is not the pride and the rainbows and the outfits. It's about the fact that you can design your life. You want to be with men for 20 years and then you want to marry a woman? I don't really care. Go right ahead. You want to wear dresses for 20 years and then all of a sudden decide to wear suits for the rest of your life? Nobody cares. Whereas I feel like in the cisgendered heterosexual world, there's so many black and whites and there's so many rules and there's so many, you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, I have friends like who whisper in my ear, I really like when she puts a finger up my butt or I love when she like pegs me or can I tell her to play with my nipple? Yes. None of that stuff makes you gay. Nothing makes you gay unless you come out and say I'm gay. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you, I know straight people who are drag queens with two children and a wife and they've never been with men. It doesn't really matter. So I, I think in America, and I, I hate to say this, but America is just very, very provincial, very backwards. You go to Europe, straight men hold your hand. Straight men will sleep in the bed. I have European friends who will get naked and sleep next to me. They're like, you're not going to attack me. I'm straight. They don't care. Like, there's not such an obsession with I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm this. Relax. Like, allow things to just be a little fuzzy. Listen, I, I'm comfortable. Like, I like men. But there is a little bit of fuzziness. Like, who cares? Like, I think people are just so conditioned in this country to not be comfortable in their own bodies, to be so uncomfortable, to even admit, like, even admit something as simple as, I don't know, oh, Brad Pitt is attractive. That doesn't make you gay. Admitting Brad Pitt is attractive and you're straight does not make you gay. Like, let's stop that narrative, you know? And it's just, these are all common thoughts that everyone has. It's so, so common for you to find arousal and unexpected places. And people find kind of like, if you don't have the openness that you were talking about, 
you're constantly living in this space of shame, feeling that, oh God, there's something wrong with me. As you said, like I'm bad because I'm thinking about so-and-so. I'm bad because like I have this desire or I it would this would label me this way if I ask for what I want. But in reality, as you mentioned, many things are fluid and you you have the agency of choosing and labeling yourself. 100%. And it's fantasy. Like if I want to get off watching straight porn, does that make me straight? I don't know. Maybe. Who cares? Like, I think it's like, I remember I told my um, a group of my gay friends at brunch, I was like, I think I want, this is like a couple of years ago, I want to experiment with a straight couple. And I kind of thought they would be like, all right, they're all like, ew, what? No. I got so much shame from my own community about that because they were so focused on their, like how they identify. And I was like, whoa, 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 guys, you're not going to put that on me. I'm not taking that shame on. It's just a fantasy. And it never happened, but it doesn't matter. I had so much fun fantasizing about it, walking around and seeing a couple and imagining having sex with them. It was like fun. It made it, it made it, it colored, like it colored my erotic life, like internal life. And I thought that was so fun. Or even like something as simple as buying toys. I remember the first time I went to a sex shop, I was like, I'm going to burst into flames, like, you know, and I didn't. And it's like, and I remember like talking to the person that worked there and I was like, wow, like they have no shame. They were like, we grab this, like, do you want this? And what do you need? Or you want to get off? Like how many times? It was just so comfortable. And of course they work in that environment. Like I get it. But, you know, in LA, as I used to do these panels and one of the panels, I had a Persian porn star and talking to him was so amazing because I remember like seeing him in porn and being like, there is diversity. Like he, I told him, I was like, I looked up to you in a funny way because that was my only touch point of a Persian queer person. I didn't know anyone who was gay and Persian. And he was like, no, I get that all the time. Like, and since then I've become friends with a lot of porn stars. There's another one who like has a thick Persian accent, grew up in Iran and is like super famous. And it's just so funny talking to them about how much shame they had to like get over to like do the porn. So like, like I remember that he would be like, you know, I told my dad I was doing it to pay for my education. And and there's all of this like, and I always thought these people have no shame. They're having sex on camera, but that's not the shame is just so insidious. And I think that it permeates every little part of your life. And I've even noticed like I was doing a business contract this week and the shame got in. He bullied me into feeling like I wasn't enough and I deserved less and I felt shame about being a queer person. I was like, wait, 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 wait. And then yesterday I got out of the fog and I was like, I called my lawyer today and I was like, we're going to get what I need, not what he thinks I need. Right. And but that's like the imposter syndrome. And even with sex, like I feel like a lot of women, trans people, queer people have a lot of imposter syndrome around sex, around asking for what they need. I remember this guy came over and I wasn't enjoying it. Like it wasn't working. And he was kind of drunk. And I remember being like, this isn't working for me. You need to go. And I put him out of the house. And I remember feeling codependent and I felt bad and I felt ashamed. And I was like, I don't want to have sex with someone that I'm not vibing with. I felt like he was not safe. And I think when you have moments where I've talked to women who are like, I couldn't say no. I, I felt, and I started to really like, I can never understand what it's like to be a woman, but to understand like when people say, oh, we should have just said no. In a sexual situation, sometimes it's hard to say, I don't like that or that I'm not vibing with that. And especially if you're an immigrant and you have all of these like, you know, I always feel like when I'm having sex, like they're all my traumas in the room. I'm like, oh, can you go away? Like, I just let me like enjoy this. And I think that with my ex, like I remember like being like, wow, this is really quiet. Not in like, it's not enjoyable, quiet in my head. I was like in it. I was having fun. I was like present. And I was like, but wow, this is what it's like to have sex, like to be in the moment and to not have like your trauma there 
and to have all of the voices like, oh, you just did that. You're disgusting. It's like, no, like the person liked it. This is about the two of us. So that's been a huge lesson for me. I love that. You're right. That's like giving yourself permission to say you no know, to things we don't want. So we'll be able to have to experience more pleasure. And you're right. It comes with this kind of like, kind of like assertiveness that many of people who are minorities or women, they, they haven't practiced that, that part of themselves. So I think that's really powerful. And when paired with at times with religious teaching, you're already feeling guilty because you're engaging in this behavior. And then you're feeling like maybe I, uh, it's bad and that's okay for, since it's supposed to be bad, it's okay for me not to enjoy pleasure or it's combined with guilt. I, I hear that you've done a lot of work on this journey of kind of coming, coming more comfortable with your identity, what you like, and you are supporting other people who are on the same journey. Tell us if people want to heal from sexual shame. What are some of the ways that you recommend you them to kind of like take in order to feel more empowered? Well, if you're Muslim, start having sex during Ramadan because that's what I would do. I'm not even fasting. I'd be like, I can't have sex. And my, I remember my ex would be like, are you serious? You're not even fasting. Like, I understand if you are fasting, but you're not even fasting. And like, I know couples have sex after they break their fast. Like, I'm sorry. Nobody's like going a month not having sex. So I just, it, it, this idea that Muslim people cannot be sexual beings, I think is the really hard part of it. Like, I remember my friend wore hijab and she went to Coachella and so many people were shaming her. She's like, so what? I wear hijab, but I like music. Like, I don't, I'm not going to go there and do drugs and stuff, but I'm there to enjoy the music. Like, so I just think that like, that's kind of my advice to anyone with the sexual shame journey is to push yourself. Like when I had like crippling anxiety and I had trouble going places, my therapist would say, go to a store and just stand there. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're not going to die. You're not going to pass out. You're not going to have an anxiety. And it was true. We would little by little, I go to CVS for 10 minutes. Then all of a sudden I'd be at dinner and it'd be an hour and a half. And I forgot that I was there. I'm like, oh, so I think sexual shame is the same. Start going on dates, swap, maybe sleep with someone on the first date. If you have all these rules, like I can't have sex, maybe then break your rule. I always tell people, I'm like, the gays have it right. We have sex first and then get to know each other. Maybe that also <laughs> breaks the walk a little bit. Like the gay handshake, you give a blowjob and then you feel comfortable and then you're good. Like. I, you know, I tried it the other way. Like I was dating this guy in the summer and we never had sex. And, it, you know, two months went by and then we became friends because it, when you lose that sexual excitement, it just kind of becomes friendship. Nothing wrong with that. Like we're friends now and it's fine, but it was just kind of a bummer because I really wanted to sleep with him on the first date. And I played the whole like, little, I don't want to be that. Pr-. It's like, no, I'm a sexual being. And like, if I want to get off and I want to like, I was, you know, talking to this guy and he was talking about just so freely about what she wanted and what he needed sexually. And I was like, that there's freedom in that. But I started to judge him, right? So you have to kind of check all of, you have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You have to really be like, wait a second. Did I just like shame him? Like, because he's so open sexually, like, wait a second. Am I shaming myself? Like, so there's a lot of work that has to be done. And I think that boundaries are the best. I think for me, setting those boundaries and being like, okay, like I talk about, I pretty much talk about everything on my Instagram and TikTok, except the bathroom. In my relationship, I don't talk about who I date. I don't talk about anything. If someone writes something like crazy on Grindr, I'll put it on there as a joke. But I don't usually like, so that's something why I've had people message me like, we never know who you're dating. I'm like, I don't want you to know. There has to be something for me. And I think that that's another thing is like boundaries as you're finding yourself out of sexual shame. When you see someone, whether it's your mom, whether it's your husband, whether it's, I don't care who it is. If they start shaming you, push back. Be like, 
oh, I said that I wanted you to eat me out. Like, sorry, that's what I wanted. Like, I don't, if you are uncomfortable with it, then you don't get a blowjob either. Because a lot of men have a lot of weird stuff about giving and receiving. I'm like, uh uh-uh, we're not doing chauvinism in the bedroom. So you have to kind of start, like, it's a lot of confidence. And I think that for me, as I felt more comfortable in my body, I was like, in my own skin, it got easier. Because I've had people say to me, when I was naked, if you lost 10 pounds, you'd be better, it'd be better. I'm like, the fuck? Like, so if you're not comfortable, it's going to be very tough for you. So I think that the first step is really, however ironic or cheesy it is, is really self-love. I think it's just, that's where it's, unfortunately, there's no way around it. So if you learn to love yourself, then all the things that people say, it's just like, okay, honey, that says more about you than me. When you tell me to lose 10 pounds, or you tell me I'm disgusting, or I look like a terrorist, that's just more about you, sweetie. No, I'm good. Like, I'm at Air One. I'm like living my best life in Beverly Hills. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm, uh, trust and believe, I am living my life. I'm not sitting at home crying over your comment. I think that that's kind of how I've navigated all of that. I love that. And I think kind of like challenging your shame story is really powerful. And also the kind of like having an internal awareness and reflection, you have a strong reaction to someone else's experience or the thing that they're interested in. Usually had lots of good information for you. I know that many people are interested in things and they, when someone else is freely expressing them, they get reactive and partly because at times that's what they want or they, that's what they're missing their life or kind of like this fear that you were talking about is something that like, like your sexual identity, your kink is something that if you come out, everyone now will be kind of like different and quote unquote abnormal, which is horrible. Which is really tough and people start to feel like they're defined by that like kink shaming or they've been like felt to feel some sort of way or, you know, I have a friend who's like, you know, in her 50s and she's Persian and she's a woman and she was exclusively dating trans men. But now she's like, I really like straight men and I'm just kind of going out and I'm really enjoying it. And but I'm getting a lot of shame and I'm like, you to you, like if that's how you're getting off, I don't really care. I feel like as long as you're minding your own business, like you get off how you want. Like there was a time where I really liked public sex, not really into it anymore. But that was fun for me. And people that wanted to enjoy that, great. If you don't, that's fine also. Like, I don't really, you know, I've tried like a threesome. It's not for me. No judgment on someone that wants to do that. You just kind of like, as long as you explore stuff, you start to realize, okay, I like that. I don't like, and that's the best way to kind of navigate your sexual appetites is like to try it and then see like, okay, do I like it? Do I not? And also another thing is I would look at the person that was giving me the advice, right? Like there's a Taylor Swift song where she says, like, don't take advice from people whose lives are falling apart. I don't like, you know, and no offense to my parents, but when they tell me like this, this is wrong, that their sex life is not very like, I don't know. I mean, I'll talk to them about it, but it's, I don't, I feel like it's not very like exploratory or fruitful. Like, I don't want that. Like, I want something that is like my mom said, like when we have sex, like we, you know, we would take like a wudu, which is like the ritual. And I'm like, this is like creating a weird, that's not for me. Like, I want to just like have sex and it be like, animalistic and just like bang me against a wall like I want that like and I think asking for that stuff sometimes makes people especially women feel like a whore and it's like what's wrong with that okay you're a horse so what everyone wants to get I don't care who you are if you have children I mean aside from Mother Teresa like everyone's wanting to I don't care how old you are there are there's a high rate of gonorrhea in retirement homes they're like 70 plus so I just I think that that's like the the thing is like when you feel for anyone listening, when you feel that shame to talk to your partner about it, that, that's a deeper issue. You don't feel safe with that person. I'm not saying don't be with them, but I'm saying there's a lack of safety. Like people that tell me they don't talk during sex. I'm like, how don't you tell them 
faster, slower. Like, don't you have a communication? If there's no communication and that's, then you're just basically his masturbatory glove. And I'm not interested in that. Like, it needs to be a communication. So I think that that's the hardest thing is like, I heard someone say like, don't share it. What if they were like, don't talk about sex because it kind of just ruins it. And I just, I don't agree with that. Like, I think that you can talk about stuff and, you know, what it, she said, like, don't share it, spray it or something. And it's like, no, like you can have a conversation, but and that's it's what, fine. And yeah. maybe before and always be delicate. You know, I always say like male fragile. Ego. So don't come in hot, like, and don't say it when you're having sex, like find a neutral place and have a conversation. Like I know so many women who are faking their orgasm. Uh-uh. Not in 2023. If you're not getting off, let him know. Yeah, you know, yeah. I love what what you're saying. You have so many great things that that you brought up, and absolutely, I think it comes with kind of confidence of knowing it's okay that you like what you like. It doesn't say anything about you. It's like a similar to food preference. Like this is the type of cuisine I like, and you're sharing it with your partner. And of course, like because of if you have internalized shame and all of the negativity and stories connected to that, it might take a while for you to get comfortable talking about it. They like that you're saying that it's essential for for everyone, single couples to talk about sex. So they will be able to kind of like have the experiences that they want and say no to the thing they don't like. 100%. And also to have like, again, like that open communication, like my ex never liked to ask Eden and I like to do that. And he wouldn't let me do it. And I feel like it ruined the intimacy because he never really explained why he wasn't comfortable with that. And I told him, like, you can take a shower, you can do whatever. But he still was uncomfortable. And then, like, when I would tell him, like, I don't like a blowjob, he liked doing it. And I'm like, I don't enjoy that. And I think that as a gay man, it's very like, how come you don't like a blowjob? What's wrong with you? And it's like, well, I don't like that. But I like a lot of other things, right? So I think it's having those conversations is like, and even for me saying blowjob, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, because there's still that like 10 year old boy that was shamed for being into sets or finding things arousing. What? So I think and then when I watch TV shows or talk to my friends and they're like, oh, God, a stiff breeze. And I was hard. Like, and you start to feel like, oh, my God, this is normal. And maybe if I had like a brother, maybe there would have been like some communication like, OK, like this is totally normal. But, you know, I had a younger sister and it was and even like her period, like even anything around the body. They were just very, very uncomfortable. And I think it also a lot of immigrants have a lot of in-laws and grandparents living. And I think that all of that too adds another layer of shame, right? They're like, they're not comfortable with it. And I'm not saying have your kid walk around with a raging erection, but I think it's important to have a conversation about it. Like, this is normal. This happens to your body. Like, and I think nowadays kids can Google stuff and find something. I had no option. What am I going to go to the library and ask the freaking 80-year-old librarian? I need a book on erections. Like, this is not going to happen. And even Googling, like if for the parents that are listening, like, do you really want your kid to get answers from Googles? Like someone random, like some random place person in another place writing about their values and things that they care about. They can hear from you from the, from the angle of the values that you have. So they can continue coming back to you around all sorts of sexual health related question. I mean, I, I love your stories and I love your Instagram accounts. And if people want to get a hold of you, what are some of the places they can go to find you? For sure. And I do confidence coaching as well. So, I mean, that's also an option. So I help people. I like one of my students just went back to school. One of them got a divorce. It was the right decision for her. And then one started a flower shop. So they're like a lot of my students will come and I always say, you do confidence coaching and I don't want to work with you forever. You'll figure it out and then you don't need me. So I think that that's like something that's been really also making me more confident because I didn't realize once you start teaching something, 
you realize how what your kind of blind spots are. I was like, wow, I have my own confidence issues. Yeah. So it was very interesting. But yes, you can find me at Instagram, Amir Yas, like Yas Queen, Y-A-S-S, official on Instagram and TikTok. And I respond to all DMs, even if you come at me crazy, I respond. So, Well, good for you. You're a better person than me. <laughs> And it's wonderful that like you have this <laughs> a strong engagement and they can find your coaching on your Instagram account. What's your coaching website? Yeah, so I don't have a coaching website. You can just DM me. And then if you just DM me coach and then I'll just respond and we can just go from there. And I always make rates like on a sliding scale and make it very cheap. I mean, it's probably the cheapest coach you're going to find like on the internet. And I, it's all about literally tailoring it to you. So whatever you need, we'll, we'll try to figure it out. And a lot of it really honestly is just destigmatizing the shame and just getting rid of it and just being like, I'm allowed to be unhappy. I think that's really honestly at the core of confidence. I'm unhappy sometimes, but I still look fabulous, you know, and I still figure it out. But, you know, it's okay to be unhappy. I think that's the number one thing with confidence. Amazing, amazing. People can get a get a kind of like access your link and the show notes. Thank you so much for coming in this show. It was lovely to connect with you face to face and hopefully we'll have you back in future. I'd love that. Thank you so much again. It was such a great conversation. Healing from sexual shame is a journey and there's so many paths to it. Something that have worked for me and many of my clients include talk, doing talk therapy, finding someone that you can trust and talking about these messages with them, doing self-exploration, whether it's getting comfortable with your body, exploring your anatomy, self-pleasuring and education, listening to shows like this, taking classes, workshops, all of these things that will help you to challenge those this negative messages that we all received about sex, and it will help us to embrace our sexuality. I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, FirmTech. If you're looking to enhance your sexual experiences and take things to the next level, I encourage you to experiment with firm tech performance ring while there are many cock rings on the market and you guys have heard me talking about cock rings in the past the performance rings stand out for several reasons first of all we tried a number of different ones they're uncomfortable they some some they don't work the one that works is just like very uncomfortable but what i like about performance rings that it's made of high quality body safe material you feel confident using it and it gets it's adjustable but the real benefit is it's in its performance it's designed to provide a longer lasting more intense pleasure and as a special offer for sexology podcast listener you can use the promo code Mo'ali20 for 20% of your purchase of the performance ring or any other FirmTech product at myfirmtech.com. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much to FirmTech for sponsoring this episode. And I talk to you guys next week right here. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.